0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has thousands upon thousands of retail locations all over the United States and they offer great batteries, right? Now, I got a buddy who is kind of a car nut, a truck nut, and he told me that, I guess on the research that he's done for car batteries, Interstate Battery car batteries and truck batteries are some of the highest quality most reliable truck batteries that they have on the market I don't know anything about it it's just what my buddy told me so if you're looking for a new car or truck battery you need to go to your local retail uh, interstate battery retail shop and go pick one up because I guess they're badass so I know I have one in my truck other than that if you have TV remote controls, Interstate Batteries makes uh, a battery for that. They make batteries for your rangefinder, your trail cameras, and basically any other electrical device for the most part that you use uh, while hunting or fishing or being outside. They also have a whole bunch of other little knick-knack products too, like uh, uh, my buddy Dan Spano. Uh, he is uh, uh, a manager for his family's interstate battery retail location he got me some of these cool flashlights that have switches on them one of them looks like a lantern so they have a whole bunch of that stuff too if you want to find out more information about the kind of batteries that interstate batteries makes head on over to interstatebatteries.com or visit your local retail store Alright everybody, welcome back to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast. My name's Dan Johnson, I'm your host, and I'm going to do a little bit of housekeeping before we get into what this episode is all about. If you're not subscribed to this podcast, please go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and subscribe. Please go to the Iowa Sportsman website and take a look at all the content that's coming into that, uh, on that website, awesome blogs outside of the magazine, which you should subscribe to as well. And that way, you're getting three points of contact with all the Iowa sportsman content, right? You got the podcast, you got the magazine, and you got the blog on the website. So, tons of great information through all three of those platforms. I really suggest looking into all that. And at the same time, um, I don't even know what I was going to say. I'm just so fired up because when I was a kid, and this is leading into today's episode, that I wanted to be a professional bass fisherman before I started getting serious about whitetail hunting. I loved fishing, whether it was for bluegill or carp or catfish or bass, throwing just a bobber and a worm. I absolutely loved to go fishing at all times. And I remember, I think it was Sunday mornings on TV, this is before satellite TV on cable, there was uh, there was always a show that I would watch, and it was some kind of fishing show, I wish I knew the name, but it was uh, s- somewhere along the lines of like Bill Dance Outdoors, um, sometimes they had tournaments on, but it was always fishing. And I said to my dad, I want to be a bass fisherman when I grow up, right? Right. And it's funny because today we're going to be talking with Todd Reed, and Todd is a fishing fanatic, and he has got one foot in the tournament game uh, when it comes to, to tournament bass fishing. And he hops around all over the state of Iowa participating in tournaments, and that's what the topic is about today. So if you have ever been interested in entering a bass fishing tournament, that's what we're going to talk about today. So uh, keep a, a close ear on what Todd has to say. And uh, this can also kind of relate to whether you're you're 18 years old and you want to start doing it full time, or if uh, you're 50 years old and you've never done it before, but you want to, this is uh, an, another reason to, uh, to listen. On top of that, Todd also talks about the big dogs, you know, if if what you can do to become a better fit fisherman in hopes of maybe making a living out of it as well. So again, another topic in this episode. But before we get into today's episode, we got to talk about Bondurant Custom Furniture. And Bondurant Custom Furniture is in Bondurant, Iowa. And these guys do some really incredible things with furniture, right? They can make custom pieces to your liking. Or one of their specialties is they take old whiskey barrels and they refurbish them into furniture like coffee tables or chairs or high tops or anything you really want to design in your crazy head. You can bring that concept to Bondurant Custom Furniture and they will uh, have a go at it. And uh, so go to their website bondurantcustomfurniture.com uh, go to the gallery and take a look at all the all the cool uh, pictures and that'll give you an idea of what it is that these guys do really high quality stuff I must say just from looking at the pictures so if you want to find out more information about what bondurant custom furniture can offer you very simple go to bondurantcustomfurniture.com all right let's get into today's tournament fishing episode with returning guest Todd Reed. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast. I am here with returning guest Todd Reed. Todd, uh, I feel like this fall, it went, we didn't even have a fall. I feel like it went from summer to winter.
1: Uh, certainly, yes. Yes, fall was short, if any, and now uh, definitely feels like winter outside. Yeah. So I know
0: you're a, you're a hardcore fisherman, passionate about that. When was the last time that you
1: got out and actually got a line wet? Um, just a few days ago, last Sunday, um, took a little boat out on a small water with my boy and uncle and um, went bass fishing and figured, you know, the temperatures were mid forties um, up in this part of the state and the sun was out and I did, I couldn't resist. So the boy had some interest and called my uncle and, and boom, we were, we were on the lake in no time. So, it was just uh, last Sunday.
0: Actually. Nice well. That's uh you're a braver man than me because huh, uh actually my my father-in-law went out on the Mississippi uh to some of his I guess his popular backwater spots and uh he went walleye fishing. How how
1: was your success? Uh we did well. Um caught a lot of largemouth. Um water temperature was right at 40, so I was kind of surprised it was that high actually. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the sun was out, like I mentioned, so I think that helped the bite as well. And it, you know, it was a good, it was a good few hours, you know, everybody caught some fish, my boy even caught a couple. So, um, we just had to adjust just like any time throughout the season with fish. Um, we just drug, um, small tubes and twister tails on the bottom and they'd come up and just kind of move along and we'd hook them. So very, very slow presentations and we ended up having a great day. Awesome. Well, hey, any day on the water is better than
0: a day in a cubicle, right? That's true. And, you know, and we didn't get that cold. So, yeah, yeah double yeah. bonus this yeah. time of year. There you go. There you go. All right. So, recently in the Iowa Sportsman Magazine, you wrote an article about tournament fishing. And that kind of sparked my, uh, my brain here to think about that because – My father-in-law, he has done several tournaments throughout the, you know, over the years, in the the past 30 years, uh, mostly on the Mississippi River. He's done some in different lakes, and he always talked about the guys that take it serious. He never said he really took it serious, just when it was convenient. And you do a little digging, and you you see that if you want to be a successful tournament fisherman, you have to put a lot of time, energy, and money into trying to make it work and even then if you can't catch fish you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna survive so my my question is we all know that you are a a hardcore fisherman when did you start getting interested
1: in the tournament life um well it was back in the 90s um Back then, you had to be 18 years old to participate in any tournaments, you know, for liability issues, I suppose. So, right at um, my senior year in high school, I turned 18 in April, and I signed up for the local bass club, the Cedar Valley Bass Club, which is still in existence today in the uh, Cedar Falls Waterloo area, and fished uh, some BFLs on the No Boulder side, and you know, jumped in right away. I love bass fishing. Um, had a uncle of a friend who was into tournament fishing and it just really really ignited me I guess in the in the sport of bass fishing you know I wanted to fish all the time uh tournaments just kind of seemed like a good step for me because I didn't have a big boat I had a little flat bottom you know with a six horse Johnson engine that's where I started my, (laughs) my fishing life on a boat uh and you know the the next step was just you know fishing with some other people learning some different things and and getting on some bigger bodies of water rather than just the the river in my in my town of independence so the the club was a perfect option for me because you know guys that were much older than me had some boats and they needed co-anglers so i jumped in the back of their boat on the weekends and and went fishing right tried to soak up everything i could from those guys uh so right at age 18 and uh, you know twenty five years later i'm i'm still in the game yeah. So it's been a it's been a long long ride and uh but it's been a very very rewarding one as well right so what did you learn those first couple
0: uh tournaments i mean this isn't like it's kind of funny whenever whenever i go out with my father in law uh to fish it's all about fun. Right, we have a lot of fun. We Mm -hmm. we bounce around to different spots. We try different lures, all this stuff. But then I hunted it, or I I fished a tournament with him, and his mentality completely changed. Like he was a different person in the boat that day. It became much more serious. What in those first couple tournaments that you fished? What were some of the big takeaways that uh, that you brought out of the boat about this isn't? it, It may not just be a fun day trip
1: anymore. That that was a big, a big switch, you know, um, mentally for me. You know, 18-year-old kid, um, you know, trying to earn some money in the summertime, going to college in the fall at the University of Northern Iowa, you know, trying to save every penny, but then at the same time trying to, you know, light this fire of, of bass fishing, you know. And the biggest thing I took away, I guess, is just being able to use a lot of different baits. Uh, most of the tournaments I participated on were up on the Mississippi River, uh, just because I lived in northeast Iowa. And so the small river that I fished on, some of that transferred over. Um, you know, fishing tubes and jigs and spinner baits. You know, back in the 90s, that's what bass fishermen used, you know. Um, but the more people I fished with, you know, top waters, things that I, I didn't really use a lot and um, my home body of water, uh, these guys were using, you know, for hours a day uh crankbaits were another thing that i picked up right away uh, you know i didn't really use um, a lot of crankbaits um, on the small river uh, especially for largemouth it was more of a spinnerbait and flipping type of thing and you know i saw these guys again and, i mean they've been fishing for years or catching fish on crankbaits and i'm like geez i don't even have one that even resembles the crankbait they're using um you know so just learning the different types of dates that were out there because again I mean back in the 90s there was no YouTube there was no Facebook Um, you know we weren't even sending text messages back then Uh, so really you had to learn by either teaching yourself at that time or jumping in with you know somebody that has actually done the game for a few years you know and and soaking up any information you can get from them so, really, the, the different kind of changing of the baits for me was the big thing. You know, you needed to have some crankbaits. You needed some buzz baits, some pop bars, you know, some of those baits that I really didn't use in, in the little river that I grew up fishing. Yeah. So, that was a big thing for me, just trying getting used to seeing some other baits out there, you know, how you work them, you know, retrieval rates, you know, just some of those fine-tuned things that, you know, I didn't really learn out fishing by myself and my high school friends. You know, we were just out there dunking, you know, jigs and tubes and spinnerbaits around and and catching bass. And we had a great time, but there's a whole lot more to the sport. And and I learned that very quickly. Yeah. So
0: how much time, whether it's 20 years ago or today, how much time is spent outside of the boat preparing for tournament weekend?
1: Um, you know, as today, uh, you know, there's a lot out there to research, um, you know, lake maps on the electronics, I spent a lot of time looking at those, uh, paper maps, uh, but those only go so far. You know, everybody has the same lake map on their Lowrance or, or the DNI website. You know, everybody can see the map of the Mississippi River and some of those contours. So everybody has those tools uh, readily available that they can look at you know, on their PCs or out on their depth finders. So those things, you know, are kind of neat just to get my mind kind of focused on the lake or you know what pool or river I'm on. But then from there, it really goes back to looking at past histories. You know, when the water level is, you know, maybe 10 foot on on pool nine, or you know, in the springtime at Brushy Creek, or in the dead of summer at Lake Belvedere. You know, you start kind of piecing together what you've done mm-hmm. in the past, looking at previous notes uh, finishes and kind of, you know, picking things out that, that you want to target first and during that practice time and not meaning that that's going to work every time. But, you know, a lot of that is, is just thinking back, you know, maybe a, a quick story your friend told you about, um, that when they fished deer in the middle of summer and, you know, maybe talking to that friend, Hey, you remember that tournament three years ago that you did well at deer? you know, Hey, tell me a little bit more about that. I'm going to be there in a couple of weeks. Um, You know, so using your resources there, having, you know, that little web of friends that you can share some information with um, is important in today's world. Because a lot of what you read out there or watch on YouTube, it's, I'm not saying it's bad, but it can definitely lead you astray very quickly.
0: Yeah, gotcha. So, you know, here you are preparing for... The tournament and you mentioned something about you know taking notes Um, how how many years till you could start seeing trends on certain tournaments to the point where you're like okay I have enough information throughout the years fishing this same tournament that I can go back and look at my notes and I know where I need to be what lure to throw when the water temperature is, you know, this temperature and the air temperatures, this temperature.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, even one trip can, can kind of point in the right direction, two or three or four trips during the same time of season is even better yet. Um, but even with uh, past notes, like you mentioned, you know, water temperature could be, you know, 10 degrees difference. So that's, that's going to be a big thing. Water levels on the river, mean everything to me, uh, in bass term fishing on the Mississippi river, yeah. you know, if the water is down two foot, obviously the notes that I took when the water is up two foot are going to be no good at all. Um, so water level is a key thing, uh, to prepare yourself with, uh, again, it can lead you in the right direction, those past notes. And if water levels are similar, similar time of year with water temperatures being similar, then those notes can lead you right back to, to finding some fish or at least getting in the area where the fish were at, um, you know, whether it be pre-spawn in the spring or, you know, summertime when, when the fish are out deeper uh, out on those lakes, you know, that we have here in Iowa. So looking at those notes can definitely get your, get your mind in the right frame and, help you have the right baits tied on, at least when you get, get to practice that uh, first morning. Yeah. Um, you know, you feel comfortable with, okay, I know I can catch them on a, on a pop bar, or I know I can get them with a swim jig, or I know I can go here and, and catch them on two. You know, I've done it in the past. It's my favorite bait, you know. So you get those patterns that you have just from fishing in the past, and then if you have some of those notes, that just kind of pinpoints you even more right. on those practice Right. Right. All right. So
0: you started fishing tournaments when you were 18. There's got to be a point I'm assuming where it becomes, you know, at 18, you probably were doing it for fun. How old were you or how much time into the tournament lifestyle until you said, I need to start, start taking this really serious now.
1: Yeah. It, you know, it started pretty soon for me. Uh, as soon as I got out of college, um, got my first teaching job. Uh, First first thing I did was I got a part-time job and and started saving for a boat. Um, First thing I did. (laughs) And I knew that that was was the next step. Because you can only learn so much fishing with other people. Um, So at an early age, I think it was 23 or 24, I bought my first uh, little bass tractor boat. You know, I I was on top of the world. You know, 35 horse motor, trolling motor up front. Um, I could go anywhere I wanted to. You know, it was awesome. And did that boat that change boat, the game for you? It did. It did. It it helped me realize that this game's a lot harder than, than people think yeah. because showing up at a lake and not really knowing where to start, what to do, what to throw. And in the, in the meantime, when I got my first job, I was in central Iowa, really no, no rivers around to, to put a boat in and fish. So I had to learn lakes. And I pretty much learned them on my own. I had a few older friends that I got to meet and kind of trade notes with a little bit as time went on. But in those first couple of years, it was, you know, trial by fire, you know, go out and have a horrible day and, you know, maybe, maybe next weekend I'll do better. And I just kind of fished against the lakes all the time down there, just trying to learn as much as I can about them. So that really kind of changed things for me is getting that first little boat and going out and and experimenting with things, you know, just controlling the boat, like in the wind. Um you know, back then it was a trolling motor and that was it. You know, there was there's no talons or spot locks on the Minkota like like I have now. You know, now looking back, you know, it yeah, pretty easy now. <laughs> I've, got, <laughs> I've got a I've got a bass boat that can handle the wind and I've got spot lock, a thirty six volt trolling motor, talons. I mean there's no excuse for me not to catch fish now. That's right. what I tell people anyway. <laughs> so You know, it really did change the game because you had to learn not just about fishing, but how to control the boat, how to manage your day. Uh, You know, let's say I had four hours to fish that day. And, you know, so you got to manage your day. And that's a big thing about tournament angling is, you know, you have seven, eight, nine hours to bring back a limit of fish. And sometimes it it comes down to the decisions you make. Uh, You know, going to one more spot, having time at the end of the day to hit you know, one more point on the lake or one more wing dam on the river. And you might pull up there with 20 minutes to go and boom, boom, boom. You catch three nice keepers and you're able to upgrade a pound or two. And all of a sudden now you're in the top five instead yeah. of being nothing. Yeah. Um. So time management's huge if, you, if you're in tournaments. And that's something that I learned at a pretty early age. Um, just from switching from the back of the boat to having my own boat, it it made a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. So, How much time is spent,
0: uh, doing this throughout a year in, in your, when you were the deepest into the tournament life, how much time out of your year was spent traveling, was spent preparing, learning, dedicated to the tournament life?
1: When, yeah, when I was fishing at my peak and looking back, I don't know how I did it. Um, <laughs> it was probably, you know, seven, eight years ago really. I was in a basketball tri county basketball out of i Um still there today, a great club to, to join in. I was fishing that, I was fishing other circuits uh one year. Um I did two different circuits and then dabbled in another club. Um so really it was it was every weekend, um, from probably middle April to About middle September, it was pretty much every weekend, um, you know, give or take during that high point um, in in my life. Um, And it it was very busy. It was very uh, costly Uh, when you're running a boat and truck across the state and even an hour or two away on the weekends and putting gas in the boat, entry fees, uh, campsites or hotels. um, It adds up very quickly. And the time away from home um, was, was something that you never got, you never get back. Right. You know, I think that's what holds people back a lot anymore is the world's gotten very busy in the last decade. Um, you know, sports and um, just social media families, of course, um, you know, and those are all good things at times, but, you know, I think that's what holds people back is if you don't put a lot of time in, uh, for the events you're fishing, you know you're driving home frustrated and and your wallet's empty uh, on that Sunday afternoon, and that's never a good feeling. And you know at a, at an early age when I was definitely at the at my peak, you know if if I didn't have a check coming home, I took it personally, and all I wanted to do was get out there the next weekend and, and hit it again. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a driving force at the same time uh, when you don't come home with that check. Uh, in your pocket to at least fill the gas tanks, um, you know it 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 kind of hurts you, you know not not just uh, financially but but my brain you know mentally it it would hurt me it would it would hurt bad, uh, and that's all I wanted to do is go out that next weekend and and do it again and, and do better, um, and I think that's kind of what's kept me in the game so long, is is having that mental. Um, attitude that, you know, hey, I I did bad this weekend. I can't blame anybody, anything, and I just got to get back out there and and hit it hard again, and that takes time, and it takes, you know, summer, I I don't work in summers, so, you know, I may, in the years past, I may go and fish Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and tournament on Sunday, especially if it's on a big body of water. You know, if it's a smaller lake, then, you know, one and a half days was, was pretty typical for me to do. Um, but, again, that's three, four-day weekends uh, that you're gone. And it definitely catches up with you uh, physically, mentally, um, and then with the family and friends, you know. So it does take time. and But when you put that time in, there are definitely some rewards there to yeah. be
0: had. Yeah. So did there ever come a point where, I guess, you started – the the work that you did outside of the boat started paying off in the boat and you started consistently uh, placing or bringing home a check?
1: Well, when, you know, years ago, I I will say this until I die. The more you fish, the better you're going to be. And when I was fishing every weekend and and during the weeknights, um, you just get a sense of what the fish are doing, where they're at, where they're located and Sometimes it seems like you, just, you can't do anything wrong. And when you're on the, block, you know, on, on the body of water a lot, that seems to happen more often. And really, when it comes down to tournament fishing, everybody's got the, the electronics. Everybody's got a fancy boat. Everybody's got the you know, 100 200 $300 rod and reel combos. But when it comes right down to it, it's the person who can find the fish, find the bass. And really, that doesn't take a lot of money at all. It takes time. And the time part is is always been key for me that when, when you put your time in and you have your fishing knowledge and you have, you know, good equipment that I, I feel like I'm going to be in the mix of things, you know? Um, So really, you know, putting the time in, um, it, it started quite a while ago because I mean, it's been my passion for years and I mean, it was, I was living it for you know, probably a good decade where, you know, my wife was was very, very generous of sharing my time with um her and, and the water in my boat. But um, you know, it it was it was a grind, you know, it really was. But when you put the time in, you're coming home with checks and you're coming home with trophies and, and uh Anglers of the Year and you know when you're putting the boat away in the fall you're like, Yeah, that was that was a good year. You know, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad I did that. I'm glad I went on that journey. Um, and until that doesn't happen, you know, I'm going to still put in some time and try to keep that, keep that going for me.
0: Yeah. What's the average cost of an entry fee for one of these tournaments that you're talking about?
1: Uh, entry fees can vary quite a bit in the state. Um, there's, there's a lot of different levels of tournaments, the clubs, um, which is a, probably the be best place to start. If you really want to learn about bass fishing um, on the tournament side, clubs are probably your best option. And there's a few out there. Um, you see the Valley Club is excellent. They encourage no like co anglers who don't have a boat. Uh, the Marshalltown Club, Tri-County Bassmasters, they've got members from all over the state because you don't need a boat to join that club. They match you up with a boater on the tournament and, and you go. Uh, and there's a couple other clubs like that as well throughout the state, but for the club level, entry fees are, are pretty small, you know, 30 to 50 bucks will get you in a tournament, you know, and you may win a couple hundred bucks. Now there are other tournaments, um, like series around the States where, you know, it may cost you 150, 200 bucks, hundred bucks to enter. And typically that is by the boat. So you and your partner would share that entry fee. Uh, so, you know, you're paying 75 to maybe a hundred, 150, per tournament per person, uh, in that team event. So really it can vary quite a bit. Um, there are anglers around the state that, that travel and do the Bassmaster opens, uh, which I would call like a triple a, if you're thinking baseball level, you know, a triple a level, you know, they're close to those major leaders. They're close to those guys who fish all the time, you know, for their job. And those tournaments will cost them the thousands. Uh, just in entry fees. I think 1500 is the Bassmaster Open entry fee. Um, so it can vary a lot uh, depending on what level kind of you're in the game. You know, you got the major leaguers you see on TV with, with everything fancy about them. you got the AAA level, club level, like level A ball or 2A ball, um, you know, like you have in the major league baseball system. It was kind of how I explained it to people. Gotcha. So the higher level you go, the more it costs you to play the game, but the higher the the amount on the check is at at the end of the weekend too.
0: Right. So as far as some of the tournaments that you're entering in on a regular basis, what what are the what are the cash out places? Like how how far back does a cash out go? And um at, at some point a guy's gotta think, you know, if I I gotta I either have to have really good pockets to be able to afford to do this or you have to be really good to say, I'm going to, I'm going to do this and I'm going to place, but because I, I think I feel at some point the, the reward is pretty risky as far as the time Mm -hmm. and the money that a guy puts into it, as opposed to what he's Mm -hmm. getting out of it.
1: Very true, very true statement there. And I think that's what, keeps a lot of people away from fishing tournaments is the reward at the end of the weekend. Um, many times, many, many times over does not, uh, cover your time and expenses away from, from home. Um, especially if you're not getting a check, uh, more than not, which, which can be terrible. Um, the, the payoffs that you mentioned at the beginning there, um, every circuit is a little bit different every club is a little bit different. Um, you know, there's no, each organizer kind of has their own little algorithm and equation to figure out earnings. Typically an organization, uh, will pay out like 70 to 80% of their entry fees. So for example, and a lot of people probably don't know this. Uh, for example, if you enter a tournament and pay a hundred dollars to get in the tournament, the organizer is going to keep maybe 20 or $30 of that just for hosting the tournament. And then the other 70 or $80 will go into the pot that will pay out anglers in the tournament. Um, so again, every director that's in charge of the tournament has their own little equation of what they're going to pay. And most, most places will pay like one in every five spots. So if there's 20 boats in an event, they might pay first, second, third, and fourth. If yep. there's 30 boats, they'll pay down to sixth place. Gotcha. If there's only 10 boats, then first and second might get, might get some money. Um, so every, every event's a little different and most, most organizations are pretty open about that. Um, just because, I mean, if you're not treating people fair, it gets on Facebook and social media and well, you're not around anymore as a tournament director um you know so most most places anymore are, are pretty fair and they put it right out there you know hey we're going to pay back 80 percent at this event or we're going to pay back 70 percent at this event and we're going to pay the top the four places at this event so people know what they're getting into uh, much better th- these days than you know even a decade ago where you just kind of enter the tournament and well, he won 300 bucks and he won 200 and I won a hundred. All right. You know, fill the tanks up and, and go home. Yeah. Uh, but nowadays it's, it's pretty much to the dollar and most people are pretty open about it because you know, there's no reason to hide it. Yeah. So you, you know what you're getting into, um, when, when you put your entry fee in and, and, uh, you know, obviously we, we hope to get that money back and a little bit more to fill the tanks. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So when you go on these, uh, you know, you've you paid the entry fee. What does the entry fee get you? Because every once in a while, I'll uh, I'll stop and I'll watch that uh, Major League Fishing tournament where mm-hmm. oh, yeah. the, they come in uh, for a lunch. Lunch is provided to them. Uh, do you guys have uh, scenarios like that where you get some perks for the entry fee, like gift bags or you get lunch or or a beer at the end of the day for free?
1: Nope. <laughs> There's your oh, the answer. I love there. that. I love nope. that. <laughs> <laughs> no, very rarely. Um, you know, very rarely. Unless, you know, an event has a sponsor and, you know, say, uh, you know, Strike King is sponsoring this event, so everybody gets a spinnerbait from Strike King. But even then, that's that's very rare. It seems like ten or twenty years ago that was more uh, likely to happen but anymore it's all dollars and cents yeah um i think people that are entering the tournament would rather see another five dollars of everybody's entry to go to the payout rather than to buy a spinner base that you may or may not want anyway yeah that makes sense um now tournament wise the answer was no I, I said that quickly because obviously we're talking all about tournaments today but when you when you see the word like um fishing derby or fishing event um, then there's a lot of prizes connected to those but when you see the word tournament it's pretty much you put in some money and if you do well you're going to get money back but if those other events like derbies events um, you know maybe the local lions club is putting on a tournament uh, to raise some money to help the kids organization you know they may have you know, your entry includes a lunch and chips and turkey sandwich and a pop, you know, that type of thing. Um, but if it's labeled as like a true tournament then it's, it's all about money. It's all about the dollars and cents at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. So how long did it take for you to really get in the swing of things and start not only just competing in these events but placing and or winning because you mentioned something about being angler of the year uh, a couple times and that sounds like it just doesn't happen
1: <laughs> yeah it it uh, again it takes a lot of time anytime uh, you hear angler of the year or team of the year uh, basically what has to happen is you need to fish the events in that organization so if you're a club angler of the year and they have, you know, five tournaments, you need to fish all those tournaments and you get points on how you place. You know, first place gets 10 points, second place gets nine, eight, seven, so forth. And then throughout the year you accumulate these points and at the end of the year, whoever has the most points gets the angler of the year, which sometimes has some monetary uh, value to it, and trophy, plaque, you know, stuff like that. Um, and, and you're right, it doesn't just happen. Um, I know guys who have fished for 20 years in tournaments here and there, and they don't have anything like that hanging on their wall. And it could be a time thing because if you miss, you know, two events, then obviously you're not going to keep up with anybody who fishes all of them, you know? So a lot of times it comes down to, well, did you fish all the events? Um, but yeah, it, it doesn't just happen. It takes time. You have to really invest in, knowing that, okay, here's my schedule. You know, I'm fishing. I'm going to take my circuit that I run currently in the state, the Hot Rod Base Bass Series. Well, here's the schedule. We've got four events this year. I'm going to fish every one of those events. They're on the calendar, my partner and I. And if we miss one of those tournaments, then obviously I'm out. If I bomb, if we bomb one of those tournaments, which we did last year, we bombed, we totally failed, then I'm out no matter what happens in those other three tournaments, if you bomb one, you're out. You can kiss anger of the year and team of the year goodbye, because there's somebody out there who's going to do even average in all four of those tournaments. And they're going to place above you because you bombed, you know? So it really, and and Kevin Van Dam said this at once. And anybody listening that knows bass tournaments heard Kevin Van Dam, he's the most decorated angler um, in bass fishing history. and, he, he he had a quote. I think he won like after his second or third the year on the pro level for Bassmasters. He the announcer asked him, "So what does this title mean to you? You know, you've won like two in a row already. What does this one mean to you?" And and the thing that he said and it's really stuck with me in the last decade or so is he said, "Any any person can win a tournament. Anybody can go out and win a tournament. You know, maybe it's on their lake. Maybe it's a lake across the state or across the nation. Anybody can win a tournament." But it takes a true angler with true skill and knowledge to win Angler of the Year. And that really that really sunk in with me. Because if you really think about it, if you're if you are the Angler of the Year, the Team of the Year, and you conquered many weekends, you know, not just a tournament. You know, anybody can win a tournament. But if you conquer and beat guys over and over and over across the year, and you end up on top, that really says something about you. Um, it really says something about your consistency. No matter if it's 40 degrees out and raining or if it's 110 with no wind, you conquered everything. You conquered the elements. You conquered you know, your tackle, your equipment. You conquered the fish and every body of water you went to that year, and you ended up on top. And that really, really sunk in with me a long time ago, and it's true. Uh, you can look at the smallest of clubs all the way up to the – to the biggest rankings in professional bass fishing. And it's the guys who are consistent. You don't have to win, but you just can't bomb. You know, I I pride myself in in bringing fish to the weigh-in every time, getting a limit, you know, getting a limit of fish, you know, whether it be five or six fish a day that you and your partner can weigh in, getting that limit says that, okay, I, I beat this lake today. Now, do I have enough to beat, you know, John and Joe and Jeremy and, and Sally you know do I have enough to beat them I beat the lake and I beat the fish but now I'm up against my competitors yeah. how am I going to rank out you yeah. know so winning winning anger of a year I mean it, it takes it takes time first it takes commitment saying I'm going to fish all these events um and then you have to be consistent you know and if you win one, you know what, now you just want number two. And when you win two, you want number three. And when you get three, then people are like, well, you're supposed to win now. Yeah. You know, you've, <laughs> you've done Your it. Now you're supposed to win. So then there's that extra pressure on you. Right. You know, it's just like the, you know, the baseball dynasties or, you know, the bulls back in the day when they were winning championships year after year after year, well, if they didn't win, you know, they failed, yeah. you know, um, so then you get that extra pressure on you, you know, not only you have to be good, but no, you didn't, you didn't win this tournament now. I mean, what what happened, <laughs> yeah. you know, so the extra pressure can sometimes fuel you even more. And that, uh, that next one is more important. The next one is, is more important. So it, it drives you. It really does.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what's the difference between these state of Iowa tournaments that, you that you're partake, uh, partaking in compared to what a guy would see on tv like the the bass masters classic or the uh, major league fishing series
1: mm-hmm. um you know really there isn't a lot of difference uh you can you can compare you know apples to apples really you know we have obviously local guys here in iowa we go out at daybreak we come back at two or three o'clock the pros, they go out at daybreak, they come back at 2 or 3 o'clock, they weigh their fish in, um, they get their rankings, and you go home with whatever money you you get. Now, mostly in Iowa, we have either a one, most tournaments are one day. So you show up, you fish all day Saturday, or you fish all day Sunday, and that's it. The pro level, uh, even like the A level, like I mentioned earlier, like the Bassmaster Opens uh, around the Midwest, those are three-day events. Some of the most of the pro events are four day events, so they'll start fishing first day of Thursday, then Friday, then Saturday, then Sunday, um, which is which I think would be gruesome because you're going back to those same areas over and over and over, and you have to manage your fish. I've I've taken um, I've taken uh, a lot of two day tournaments in in the past, and you have to. You know, kind of save your fish a little bit if that makes sense, um not blow your spots out exactly. you know you get your keepers on that first day, you know, maybe you upgrade a little bit, but then you leave, you get out of there and hoping that there's there's more fish there that you can come back on the next day and catch some more because it's a two day weight total. If you catch twelve pounds the first day, two pounds the next day, well, that's only fourteen, and Joe caught ten pounds one day and ten pounds the next day. You've got 20 it's not even close yeah. um so you kind of have to save your fish and i can't even imagine fishing a three or four day tournament that would be that would be tough yeah. i think you know praise to those guys that do it and, and can do it consistently and bringing a limit you know three four days in a row because that, that that's quite a feat uh especially when you're going against 100, 200 other boats. I mean, right. you throw that in the equation, and you're like, whoa, <laughs> how do you do it? You know, so kudos to those guys that can.
0: Yeah. Now, kind of circling back to the whole financing uh, part of it and the money that it takes for entry fees, for boat gas, for truck trucks, hotels, uh, campground rentals, whatever, food uh, to and from or whatnot. What... um is there a time when at your level that you can start getting sponsorships to help even out that uh, cost?
1: Um, you know, that, that really varies by, by anglers. Um, you know, it, that's a hard question to ask for, you know, the entire state, the listeners uh, today. You know, there are some guys that I know Um, that fish some higher level circuits and and they get checks from their sponsors, thousands of dollars of checks saying, here, go fish, advertise for us and have a good time. Um, And again, it it depends on maybe who you know, what you can promote for that business. You know, if you're all over the Midwest and a business is trying to grow, having, having your stickers and, and all over your truck and your boat that, thousands and thousands of people are going to see every day. That's some pretty powerful marketing, uh, for a company. Um, but for the local, you know, local guy that hangs around Iowa and fishes to get that kind of money would be surprising, I guess. Um, if you, the biggest thing to me is if you're showing some success, if you can be a leader in your boat and outside your boat, uh, if you're a good community guy, um, starting at those places to, you know, give you some monetary sponsorship, you know, it's just like, uh, you know, the local pizza hut sponsoring, you know, the local baseball team for $200 and they get their name on their shirt and, you know, the shirts disappear after the season's done. Whereas if you can market yourself and say, Hey, I'll put your logo on my truck, my boat, my fishing shirt. And, you know, I'm going to be fishing for nine months out of the year, you know? you know, if you can market yourself a little bit, there's companies out there that will, you know, gladly share uh, some of their marketing money with you uh, to get their name out, to help promote their business. You know, whatever they're selling, you need to sell, uh, which, which can become tricky at times. Um, Now, a lot of companies in the fishing industry will get discounts and such for anglers. Uh, The word, pro staff is probably the most overused word. (laughs) That's the same in the hunting industry, dude. Yeah. In the world of fishing, but, uh, you know, if you're a a true pro staff member, you know, you kind of work for that company. You, you help sell the products. You're a person that customers can go to and, and talk to a real person in your area, um, and make some sales, you know, and that's what kind of pro staffing is all about. And in return, that company, you know, may give you some discounts or, you know, maybe a monetary fee, but, uh, that, that's kind of rare for the small, small time guy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but really just kind of putting yourself out there being a, you know, being a good person. Do people look at you and say, geez, that guy's, you know, he can catch fish and man, is he an idiot? You know. <laughs> um, obviously a company is not going to want to put some money on someone who thinks they're an idiot. Right. Um, you know, they'd much rather uh, work with somebody who knows how to sell, speak in public, um, you social media, uh, you know, keep their appearance nice. I mean, that, that's another huge thing. You know, if you run around with a dirty rusted old pickup and a bunch of stickers on there, because you have pro staff, you know, what is, what's that telling everybody, you know, what, um, you know, how can you show that you are, you know, a person in the field of fishing that can help people understand the product. And can lead that person to purchasing that product. Right. Really, that's what it comes down to.
0: Right. Okay. So, if
1: you can really do that and market that, then yeah, there's some companies out there that are going to help you along the way.
0: Yeah. Okay. So now it comes to time, right? I know it sounds like mm-hmm. uh, when at your peak, you had you were you were fishing every single weekend. You were practicing throughout the week, and uh, you have a wife. And you have children now, right? Correct. Yep. Right. So yep. talk to us a little bit about the balance and how you communicate with your wife and your children when you know, when it's time to fish, it's time
1: to fish. Right. Um, and, and that that is, you know, that's the tricky part. And um my wife and I have dated since high school, so she's known me for a very, very long time. Right. And I think that helps a lot. Um, because even back in high school, you know, if it was a nice day, a nice weekend, you know, I was, I was fishing, I was, uh, you know, playing baseball and fishing and working and, and, you know, it's always been a huge part of my life. And I think that kind of just carried over right to our, to our marriage. You know, she knew that, well, yeah, he's, he's going to go fishing. You know, he's going to be in tournaments. He's going to run bass clubs and, and go fishing a lot. So it was just kind of, part of our relationship, I guess, um, which started way back in high school. And of course it it carried over into marriage and with kids. Uh, My youngest is, or my oldest boy is 12. And even when he was born, uh, you know, things just kind of kept going. Just, I was kind of at my peak really back then, Uh, about 2007, 2008, 2009, right there. That's when I was really hitting it hard. Uh, several different clubs um, and I feel I was at my peak because I was hot in the water all the time. I mean, it was, it, it was a grind, you know, we talked about that earlier, um, but it, it was that balance, you know, it was being able to go on a Friday and practice for a tournament and not have those hard feelings in a relationship, um, you know, and, you know, more, more so in the kids, are now around. I've got a girl too that's a few years younger than my boy, and you know now it's like, oh, you know, are you leaving for the weekend? <laughs> and you know, some sometimes it is, yes, you know, yeah, I'm gonna take off Friday, and you know, but they've they've kind of understood the process now more than they did, you know, four or five years ago. Yeah, When they're smaller. They just didn't quite understand, you know, why, why, why. Well, now they, you know, they kind of know. Well, you got to go practice. You got to find the fish, and. You know, then you have the tournament and then you're home. Yeah. So it's kinda of understood kinda of how it works. Um you know, we've we've had some big life changes the last few years too. We moved, uh, back to a hometown, uh, new jobs, uh, for my wife and I. So things have really changed the last, you know, three, four years for the family too. Um and with that, um, I still fish quite a bit, but I have chosen my tournaments a lot more wisely. Gotcha. Um getting in the series, not, not going back to back tournaments all the time, like I used to, uh, because that that becomes a grind. You know, I fall behind on just work and my everyday life things. And, you know, I don't want that to be happening. You know, family and friends are much more important than that fish that I might catch uh, during that tournament. So definitely scheduling has become more important to me uh, because of the timing factor. And, you know, still getting out and fishing you know especially with the kids and you know so that's great they're starting to get into it much more uh these days and and but again scheduling picking those tournaments not i have i have a series that i fish the higher base bass series i've done that for years now and you know those are four four big weekends you know three to four day weekends and then i i choose other tournaments around the area to to jump into, but I try not to, you know, the back to back to back are just killers anymore. Yeah. You know, I mean, I just, I can't keep up anymore. Yeah. With yeah. the, with the fishing research and the traveling piece and the time, you know, it, and, and you find yourself not doing as good. And to me, I, I, I see a quote every once in a while flying around and, and I love the quote. It says, I hate losing more than I love winning. And with me, that's always been, something. You know, I, I hate losing more than I almost love to win. Yeah. Um, and it, it may sound a little backwards, but but if you kinda kinda think about it and whether you're a softball player or you know, basketball league player or whatever, the losing is what you remember. Right. You know, and, and if you're a true competitor in, in bass fishing or tournament angling, if you're a true competitor, you remember the days that you were terrible more than the days that you were good i do anyway Uh, and again i think it fuels the fire it it really does um because you never want that feeling again driving home you know an hour two hours three hours four hours driving home and just there's nowhere to escape you did terrible you didn't find the fish you didn't catch them you know and it's just a horrible feeling horrible feeling and then on top of that, you were gone for three days and you spent two, three, four hundred three, $400. And it's just a real kick in the gut. Yeah. Um, so the, so to, to bring back the kind of scene here, you know, the, the timing is, is key. Scheduling has become much more important in my life um, right now. Yeah. Um, so definitely schedule things out and in the communication with, with your family and friends, you know, you, if you can't be gone all the time, you can't be gone all the time, you know, no big deal. It's life, right? Um, we all end up the same, six feet under. So yeah. whatever days and, and years we have here, we got to make the best of it. So choosing absolutely. what's best for you and your family at the time is is what you need to do.
0: Yep, absolutely. All right, so let's say there's a, a youngster out there who's listening to this, and he wants to get his feet wet in the tournament fishing uh, scene. Any advice that you can share with them about potentially not only competing in these tournaments, but being successful in these tournaments?
1: Well, as a kid right now, um, it's probably the easiest time ever to jump into tournaments and start learning about bass fishing. Uh, There's a lot of high school bass clubs uh, popping up around the state. Uh, We have one here in Independence. There's open high school tournaments that you can just show up and fish with your buddy and a parent uh, running the boat. Uh, and that that's great experience. It tells you if you're going to like it, um, going to love it, want to spend more time doing it. Uh, so as a high schooler right now, you have, oh, I, I so wish I, I had high school bass fishing when I was a kid. Um, so right now, if you're a high schooler and you're listening to this, or even a college student, they have uh, a lot of, Schools and college right now have fishing clubs. Excellent way to to get with others who love the sport of fishing. And, of course, you're going to learn from them. And that's the whole key as a youngster, even back in the mid-90s, which, yeah, most people weren't alive then. Um, <laughs> the youngsters, anyway, weren't alive then. You know, that's how you learn. You know, you can watch all the YouTube videos you want. But getting out there, you know, in a boat or along the shore, you know, talking with each other, working different baits and lures, and trying different rods and reels. Uh, you know, that's the best thing. Hands-on is always the best type of learning you can have. Um, so, jump in that high school club. Um, there's a Iowa high school bass team championship that I host actually and organize uh, each year. It's in May. Just search it out, guys, on the internet. You'll find it. We've got our own website. Uh, we gave away over fifteen hundred dollars worth of prizes last year. Uh, only a $10 entry fee for high school kids. So a fantastic way to jump in for practically no money. Uh, so high school, college kids, you, you've got resources out there. You've got clubs going on all throughout the state. Uh, jump in. Uh, now, if you're out of high school, you know, got, you got your first job, working hard, and, you know, you're making your money, you're living the life, and, you know, hey, I want to I start doing this bath tournament stuff. This sounds awesome. You know, this Todd Reed guy knows what he's talking about. And so now you want to go to those clubs that I mentioned earlier, you know, search Iowa Bass Clubs. And that's the best place to get started. If you're young, you maybe you don't have a boat or you have a small boat and you don't eh, it's not really a tournament boat. Um, jump in the clubs. I mentioned a few Cedar Valley Bass Masters in Waterloo area, Tri-County Bass in the Marshalltown area. Um, Northeast Iowa Bass Club up by Fayette. Um, uh, there's a few of 'em around that still have quite a few tournaments that have no boaters and boaters alike. So that would be an excellent place to jump in. Um and then lastly, you know, youngsters, try to find an an older mentor, you know, try to find a, a guy in town who you know loves to bass fish and you know, try to get out with him or her. You know, there's a lot of female anglers out there too and jump in the sport that way. There's nothing better than being on the water, you know, throwing baits around, talking with people, doing the same thing, trying different equipment. That's really how you're going to become a, a better angler. So jump in, make contacts, um, join the clubs if you can. And uh you know, best thing is to, you know, try to find an older mentor or, you know, a buddy that may have, you know, a dad's got a boat that you can use or something like that. And jump in, you know, and not necessarily jump into tournaments and start paying hundreds of dollars in entry fees, but, you know, make yourself some challenges. Okay, so this April, we're going to go out and we're going to fish uh, Brushy Creek. And we're going to fish from daylight to 2 o'clock. We're going to weigh our keepers or measure them and write down, you know, what we have, what we have for keepers. And, you know, just challenge yourself like that. You can learn a lot by managing your boat because at 2 o'clock we've got to stop. You know, so it's like a, like a tournament, how you do this all the time with friends, um, in central Iowa on smaller lakes, you know, you have a certain time limit and that's it. We're done. We meet and we, you know, share what we caught. And it's just kind of an impromptu tournament where you can learn a lot of things. You know, you're under pressure. You're trying to beat somebody or you're trying to get that fish to get a limit. What are you going to do? You know, you're going to stay here. You're going to go somewhere else. You're going to throw a buzz bait, spinner bait, jag bait, buzz bait. You know, what are you going to do? Uh, and it, it can teach you a lot and it's free. I mean, you don't have to do entries, you don't have, uh, you know, outside expenses, and that's a great way to learn, you know, and that will tell you, can I really do this? You know, am I ready to pay a $100 entry fee, or is it just going to be a donation, you know? Yeah. And you don't want to start young in your career just donating, because you're going to wear out, you're going to be done, and it's going to leave a bad taste in your mouth about bass fishing. Yeah. So... You know, get out there. You know, try it. Try some different lakes. And if you're catching limits of bass, you know, I would say you're ready. Uh, if you look at any standings throughout the state of Iowa, um, a lot of, I would say almost all tournaments, uh, there are people who don't catch keepers that day. It happens to it happens to everybody. Well, if you're catching keepers consistently, I I would say you're probably ready to jump in a tournament or two. Um, and there's a lot of smaller you know, open tournaments around the state, you know, $50, $60 entry fees, that's not going to break the bank, um, especially if they're in an area. Uh, the DNR website, IowaDNR, uh, .org, um, lists every tournament in the state of Iowa. So that's an excellent place to go. Most likely you can find a tournament within, you know, 30 minutes, hour of your place, and, you know, jump in and try it. And, you know, again, 10, 15, 20 years ago, that wasn't the case. You know, a lot of times you'd have to travel two, three hours just to to find a tournament. Not anymore. There's tournaments all over the state, Uh, lakes that are 100 acres um, up to, you know, the bigger lakes like Brushy, 3-mile, 12-mile, Okaboji, all over. And then, of course, the Mississippi River, too. So the chances, or I should say the opportunities are there. Um, Tread lightly. And, you know, once you get the hang of it, go for it. Yeah. you know give it a try see what you can do and along the way you're going to learn a lot about sport bass fishing awesome awesome well
0: todd thanks for taking time out of your day to chit chat with us about this tournament lifestyle really appreciate it and uh, let me just say good luck on any other tournaments that you're going to be this spring and beyond
1: all right well i appreciate that dan
0: And that brings us to the end of another Iowa Sportsman episode. Huge shout-out to Todd for taking time out of his day to uh, hop on and chit-chat with us about the tournament lifestyle. Huge shout-out to Bondurant Custom Furniture for uh, supporting this podcast and making it happen. Other than that, be sure that you guys are not only visiting the Iowa Sportsman website, iowasportsman.com. Be sure you subscribe to the magazine, and then check out the facebook page as well the iowa sportsman facebook page lots of cool content coming all over the place not only through the magazine but through the website and now the podcast as well go to itunes subscribe or wherever you download your episodes and other than that uh, there's still time to go out and hunt deer there's still time to go out and hunt pheasants and ducks Uh, a lot of things to do the water isn't frozen yet but uh, it's going to be getting there here pretty soon so there's still some time to do some open water fishing other than that I say get outside, enjoy what is left of November, and uh, we'll talk to you next week.